So the scripture reading for today is from Zephaniah 3, 14 to 17. Sing aloud, daughter Zion. Shout, Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. As warrior who gives victory, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. The New Testament reading from this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard a crowd going by, he asked him what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he shouted even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when they came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, praised God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this day that you have made. This day that you have set aside to worship you with singing and with confession and with prayer. Lord, go before us. Soften our hearts and prepare our minds for the things you would have us to learn this morning through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I confess uh, that I do not have any stuffed animals uh, for object lessons of grace. However, This morning, uh, I'm very excited, not only to be the first time preaching with you, not as a candidate, but actually as the uh, associate pastor here, and also, uh, I think it's really fun to be up here now. The first time I was really scared, but now it's very fun to be up here. (laughs) I like it. I I confess that I like it a lot. So thank you so much for all your welcomes and for all your help that many of you have gone through uh, to make this um, a very easy transition so far. In our text this morning, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and Luke tells us that this event happened as he enters the city of Jericho. We know if we look forward in the text that he is going to his death. He is going back to Jerusalem for the last time. And here, we have a story of many things that are going on. We have a wonderful miracle that Jesus performs. We have a story of being gracious towards others and loving and caring for the beggar and the, and, and the poor and those who need help. 
But today I desire and I want to discuss the topic of grace. What do we do about grace? We spoke last week about the Good Samaritan and about being neighborly and caring for those who need help. And this week I want to talk about grace, not for other people, but for ourselves. Some of you may have seen that the title said internal grace and wondered what in the world I'd be talking about and what I meant by that. Well, this morning what I want to do is talk about not the graces we talk about when it comes to salvation. We understand the passage in Ephesians, for it is by grace we've been saved through faith that no man may boast. I want to talk about the grace that happens after that. The grace that takes part and takes hold of our lives day after day that comes from God. That being said, in this passage we see a beggar outside the gates of Jericho asking Jesus. And it says in the text that he forcefully, loudly shouts, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And we can assume and infer from the text that this man, because he was blind and because he was begging, that he was probably poor, that he did not have the means to care for himself or to work, the sort of person that would need help. And that the people there seemingly did not want to help him. They shushed him, they pushed him away. He had to be outside of the gates for whatever reason. And they ordered him to be quiet. This man, though, as we see with many people encountering Jesus, doesn't seem to care what anyone thinks. And he shouts all the more loudly, the text tells us. He yells out, Son of David, have mercy on me. The text tells us a lot of things that are happening here. And one thing contextually that I wanted to simply point out was that this title, Son of David, many of us, if we've studied scripture, are familiar that this is a messianic title, that he is a, they are seeing him as a coming king. He's been doing ministry now for almost three years, and he is becoming a somewhat of a celebrity in the area. People have heard of him. People are hoping that he is this figure they have longed for. And that the, we know from the, you know, being able to read all of Scripture that the triumphal entry is right around the corner where they would shout, Hosanna, and lay down their coats as he enters the city of Jerusalem. People are excited for this man, this rabbi, to come and change things. They were ready for their Messiah, their Savior. And this man is not like the rich young ruler asking for an eternal life. He is not asking who the greatest of the disciples is, as the disciples would later do. No, he's simply asking, as many of us have, to Jesus for mercy. He is simply petitioning, Lord, be merciful to me. Maybe it was because, because he called him the son of David. Maybe it was because Jesus had empathy when he saw him. We don't know, but Jesus stops. And Luke is very clear in saying that Jesus stopped walking and turned and called this man. Sometimes I wonder what the things are that make Jesus stop like this. Throughout his ministry, we have all these wonderful examples of Jesus kind of seemingly stopping what he's doing and listening to the power of the Spirit to intervene in someone's life. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was just generosity. Maybe his heart was moved. But here we see Jesus stopping to intervene in this man's life. And I would like to ask you a favor now as we move forward in the text. You don't have to close your eyes if you're not someone who likes to do that. That's fine. But I would ask you to visualize this scene. I would ask you to visualize first, imagine yourself as one of this crowd outside the city of Jericho. Maybe you've come because you've heard this young rabbi is coming to visit your city. 
Maybe you're just simply walking in and you witnessed it by chance. But whatever it is, you're outside the city of Jericho and you're standing there. Picture the scene. It's hot and it's dusty. There's smells of animals and livestock and spices and people are speaking different languages, bustling about. And no one stops by these beggars. You walk by them all the time. They're there shaking their cans with their copper coins, asking for alms, asking for help. Let alone, you never stop to help, but let alone the important people, these celebrities that come through never stop. They never give any money. And if they do, it's a few small coins just so that other people might see them give. And there you are. And you see Jesus stop walking and call the man closer. And you're so amazed by this and you're so blown away by this act that this rabbi would stop to speak to a beggar that you rush to get closer. You kind of bump a few people out of the way so that you can get within earshot to hear what he might say. And so you shoulder your way through the crowd and this Jesus, this rabbi, asks the blind man a question. He asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Maybe the beggar will ask for money. Maybe he'll ask for a place to sleep this night. Maybe some food. Surely this blind man could use all of these things. He's begging outside the city gates with not much to take care of. And then you hear him ask for a miracle. That he would receive sight. And immediately you judge inside your heart and you begin to kind of laugh. Why in the world would he ask for sight? This is a rabbi from Nazareth. The high priest may not even be able to fulfill this request. And this blind man has the the audacity to ask this visiting rabbi for sight. And then the unthinkable happens. You're standing there, seeing this interaction, kind of wondering, what in the world is going to happen next? And then it happens. Instantaneously, a miracle, and the man receives his sight. What is your response? What do you do? What the scriptures say, you praise God, right? Immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it, praised God. See the mercy and grace of our God, Jesus Christ. And when I read this passage and look, I think, okay, what does this mean for me today? This passage has had a profound impact in the last two years of my life. I've read this one in Luke and the, and the similar accounts in Mark and different accounts of Jesus healing people. And there's a, one thing that sticks out to me that I absolutely love about this. I see grace. I see Jesus bestowing grace on someone who could do nothing for him. And grace for us as human beings is a difficult concept, isn't it? If something is free, we wonder, why? <laughs> What's... What does all the fine print say? You know, I remember just recently, we, I signed Jenna up for a cell phone. And in the United States, you sign up for a cell phone and you do the big two-year contract and everything, or, or you sign up for internet. And I remember going to get internet for our apartment here. And, and when you do that, they give you a price. But in the fine print, it says that price is the introductory rate. And then after, you know, 12 months, it doubles or triples or goes up. And then one day you get a bill and you think, oh, it wasn't free. I've been paying for it all along. You know, this this sort of thing happens all over life. And so when we encounter grace, we sometimes wonder, what's the catch? What is this going to cost me? 
Well, I would assure you this morning there is no hidden agenda from our Lord. There is no hidden agenda from our Lord who loves us. And this passage, I think, is one of Jesus' most powerful moments in his ministry for one more reason. If you look through the scriptures, often people are, like last week, the lawyer in the parable of the Good Samaritan, asking Jesus questions. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to pin him in. They're trying to prove that he knows what he says he knows. And here, Jesus is the one asking the question. Here, Jesus is engaging with this beggar who has no right, really, to talk to him in that society. And he asks him a very important question. What do you want me to do for you? It's a simple question, and initially it may seem silly. You would think, of course, he's blind. He wants sight. (laughs) Why would you ask that? But think of the powerful faith of the blind man to actually ask that, to ask for sight, to ask for a miracle, to believe that he could fulfill his request. Maybe one more short exercise. This is when this passage became very real for me. Go back to your image of whatever this scene looked like. And imagine you just witnessed this. You just witnessed this, and you're aghast. You're, this man just received sight. And then Jesus stops, turns to you, looks you in the eye, and says, daughter, son, what do you want me to do for you? What would your response be? How would you answer I immediately think, I don't know. What would I say? I'm healthy, I'm pretty healthy, things are okay, you know. What would I say? What would be my most important need? What would I desire? And and I begin to get flustered. This beggar knew immediately what he desired from his Lord. And I would ask you, seriously, consider what is the first thing that comes to your mind that you would ask now, this morning? Jesus is asking you, what do you want me to do for you? What is your answer? Maybe you want forgiveness from past sins. Well, (laughs) he's done that. Maybe you need your heart to be healed from wounds other people have inflicted upon you. He offers that. Maybe you need strength and wisdom for future struggles and future trials that you may be coming around the bend. He also offers that to us as his children. See, when I read this, I realize that in a way, Jesus asks us this question every day and offers us this every day. Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And every day he offers us this question, what do you want me to do for you today? What do you want me to do for you? In a way, he's asking the question, what grace do you need from me today, my child, whom I love? In what way do you need my power to perfect your weakness today? But as we talked about, grace goes against our human nature sometimes, doesn't it? If someone helps us, we desire to pay them back. If someone gives us money, we desire too to pay them back immediately. Even sometimes with praise or words of affirmation, we desire to pay them back. And so when Jesus offers us this grace, we sometimes think that we have to earn it. We sometimes think that, wow, Lord, I can't come to you today because of my past transgressions. 
because I am not worthy. Thank you for saving me and thank you for my salvation, but today it's just a struggle. But it's not fair. It's not about being fair. It's about being gracious. It's about the grace that God offered this man. This man could offer Jesus nothing. He's a blind beggar outside the city of Jericho asking for mercy. If you want a more extreme example, think of the man on the cross. What could that man possibly offer our Lord Jesus Christ? And yet Jesus bestows grace upon him. Surely there is times when we struggle to understand grace and we struggle because of our guilt or because of actions we have done. But let me be clear on something. I spoke with um, Jenna's grandfather about this just a week or two ago. He, we were talking about this concept of guilt. And guilt surely has a purpose, right? We do something and, and, and we act in a way that is not becoming of our Lord and, and so we feel bad and we ask for forgiveness and repentance and, and that's fine. But with gracious acts and sometimes with the Lord, we feel a sense of guilt. The sense of guilt meaning we feel like we should pay back. We feel like we should do some act to repay Jesus. And I would argue that one step beyond that, and it was in our prayer of confession this morning, how Jesus cures and heals our shame. Shame is when guilt goes one step further, and because of our guilt or because of our sense of guilt inside of us, we immediately begin to feel that we aren't good enough for the grace. See, guilt is okay. If you steal something, you will feel bad. That's right, and that's good. But if you say that I am not good enough, For this gift Jesus offers me daily because of things I have done, that is shame. And the cross of Christ and the grace of Christ covers that. He takes that away. Consider what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 5. But law came in with the result that the trespass multiplied. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that... Just as sin exercised dominion in death, so beautiful, grace might also exercise dominion through justification leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that when our sin multiplies, Jesus says, or Paul says that the grace from Jesus Christ multiplies all the more. And so when we come to him daily, when we come to Christ daily, when he asks us that question, what do you desire me to do for you? In a sense, it's been done. Through the power of the cross, it has been done. And he asks that we accept it. If you look at the prayer of confession and the, prayer from Ze- or the scripture from Zephaniah, these are passages about Jesus' forgiveness and grace on us as his people. And many I have talked to over the years have struggled to understand this grace in their own personal lives because of past sin. We think about the things we have done and we think about the things we have done to others and we think, I just need to get by. I think about my parents. Many of you will hear more testimony about my family background. Some families come from great families of generational faith. I come from a family of great generational sin. And my parents, I remember talking to them about this once. This topic about guilt and shame and accepting grace from Jesus every day. My parents are both former alcohol and drug addicts and have done atrocious things. And if you ever have been or know someone who is in addiction counseling or has gone through this process, 
You pray for grace every day. Why? Because in our minds, the shame creeps up and the enemy tries to tell us that we're not good enough to accept the grace of Jesus Christ every day. That we have done too much evil to accept the grace of Jesus Christ every day. But that is a lie. Jesus Christ in this passage asks a man who could do nothing to repay the debt, what do you want me to do for you? And I believe this is, the acceptance of this is vital to our Christian lives. That we are far too hard on ourselves sometimes. And sometimes it's a pleasant reminder to me to remember that heaven is filled with failures. Heaven is filled with people who could not measure up. Heaven is filled with men and women who have failed to be like Jesus because they needed the grace Christ offers. Remember, church, that Christ came for the sick, not the healthy. And that when I speak of internal grace and when I talk about the grace of Jesus Christ every day, I'm talking about accepting the grace Jesus offers daily. Accepting the grace where our faith becomes not about paying Jesus back, but a faith that heals our hearts into the men and women he has called us to be. And it's very simple. I look at this passage and there's two things this man did. He sought out Jesus and he listened. He sought out Jesus. Similar to the bleeding woman in Mark chapter 5, if you remember that. She reaches out and touches Jesus. This man sought out Jesus. And it says in the text, and I love how it says it, that he didn't just call out, hey Jesus. Jesus. He says it loudly, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. If we call out to him and listen and have the faith that he will answer our requests, we will find healing. We will find grace. We will find power to do the things he has called us to do. And as Christians, we accept the grace of God for our salvation. But let us not limit that grace to one time event that got us into heaven. Let us take that grace and be something that motivates us every day to be his church that His grace extends beyond our salvation and it teaches us every minute of every day that our lives would be offerings to Him. I believe God offers this grace not as an excuse to sin, but an invitation to freedom and righteousness in the eyes of our God. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank You for the blind man outside the gates of Jericho. We thank you for the faith he had to call out to you that we might learn from him. Lord, we thank you for your response and your question you asked him. Lord, I pray that daily we would wonder and we would challenge and we would look at our hearts and ask what we would ask of you. Lord, you are good and that is why we come to you. Lord, we trust you and that is why we have faith that you will answer our requests. Lord, to heal our past transgressions, to strengthen us for the future, and to be with us in all we do, in all of our steps. In your son's matchless name we pray. Amen. Amen.